Welcome to History Makers, I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking with a guy who comes highly recommended. Michael Davey is an author and speaker and a school teacher. And he's uh, he had some great plugs from different people. Kel Richards from 2CH in Sydney says uh, his book Journey of Hope is a great book, very well written, uh, full of humour and insight. He's also got uh, Lee Hatcher, TV news preventer, said that uh, he's an amazingly optimistic guy, an amazing man of faith, a great author. Uh, lots of uh, great uh, endorsements here. Uh, Michael, let's find out a little bit about your story. Tell me, um, where were you brought up, where were you raised, and at what age, uh, how did you become a Christian? Matt, it was, I was a foster child, and I was in and out of four different institutions, and I came home to live with my schizophrenic mother when I was 10 years old, and I lived with her for a, a roughly six years, and that wasn't a, a pleasant experience, but I, I ran away from home to the Royal Australian Navy as a 15-year-old. And then, but before I did that, I met a, a wonderful old lady. She was a born-again Christian, 96 years old, snowy white hair, and she started talking to me about Jesus Christ. And I showed a bit of an interest in that. And then she said, I'm going to start praying for you. And I said, well, if that's what you want to do, you go for it. But it wasn't something that I immediately jumped at because I had this, this difficulty in understanding how someone could possibly love after being abused in foster care and then abused in the institutions. And I grew up essentially as a juvenile delinquent. But then... That was when I was 14 years old when I met this lady, and for the next eight years of my life, I kept on bumping into Christians. And I had a number of car accidents, and there was one accident that occurred when I was 22 years old. I'd been out with a woman, and I was living my life at a million kilometers an hour as a young man. And, and so I'd seen this woman home, and, and I was you know, drinking lots of alcohol and, and being very, very immersed in the world. And then coming home, my friend was driving my car, and the lights went out. And then he tried to steer around the corner in the dark and we ended up driving over this very steep hill. And our car hit a tree and I went through the windscreen. And I wound up in hospital with my friend the next morning. I, I, I came to because I was knocked out in the accident. And then in the between my bed and my friend's bed was a chest of, was it, sorry, a Bible. And I opened the, the Bible up and I about three years previously I started going to a Bible study. And then there with the Bible in my hand, I'd realized that it was God who'd been wanting me to come to him. And so essentially God found me in that hospital. And it was, I remember reading John 3.16, and for the first time I truly understood what that meant in, the, in as much as that there was a God who loved me so much that he died for me. And I remember with, with great vivid recall laying in that bed with tears in my eyes and received Jesus as my saviour. And what age were you then? I was 22 years of age. 22 years of age. And, and so you'd been in the, the Navy since the age of 15 um, and obviously lived an you know, incredible roller coaster of a life. Uh, when, so at that age of, of 22, did people notice the change in your life after you became a Christian? Look, it was, it was like chalk and cheese. Mm. Before I was a Christian, I was, I was immersed, as I said, in the world in a way. I was, I was living at a, a very fast rate and surrounding myself with alcohol and women. And then suddenly... I had decided, because I'd received Jesus as my saviour, to make a difference in the way I conducted myself in, in the world. And so I stopped swearing, I stopped going out with all these females, I stopped drinking, and I discovered remarkably that there was a God who 
was able to give me this incredible sense of purpose in my life. And, and as a juvenile delinquent, as a fostered and institutionalised child, I grew up with bitterness, with rage, with anger and all this resentment. And, and all of those things, they manifest itself in being quite hostile towards people. But when I became a Christian, there was a great change in my attitude and my behaviour. Mm. I just love you know hearing stories like that. You know, I mean, a lot of people think I can't go to church or I can't become a Christian because I smoke or I swear or I lie or I this or I that. You know, but the truth is, when you come to Christ, um, He comes into your heart, He cleans up your life, and then you you just don't want to live that lifestyle. You know, you know, of course you're not perfect, but uh, you just change from the inside out. Is that what happened to you? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I, I suddenly had a, a real purpose in my life. I also went from being because when you grow up in those situations, I, I felt totally unlovable and completely worthless, and I had this profound fear of failure. But then finding God in that hospital, that all changed because there's a God who died for me. And that, that's the remarkable thing about the Christian faith, that there's a God who creates us. We are rebellious and walk away from him, and he actively pursues us in a very loving and caring way to show us that he died for us. And that's, that's a remarkable aspect of God's compassion that there's this incredible love shown on the cross that God comes into our heart as a result of receiving him then we can make all these remarkable well should I say God can make all these remarkable changes in our lives I love um, the two words you use there actively pursues us you know um, so many people think that it's up to the person to chase after God and then they'll find God, you know, and there is truth in that. You know, when we draw near to God, he draws near to us, the Bible says. Um, but the truth of the matter is that God loves every person on this planet and he is actively pursuing everyone. Um, Look, that, that's, that's essentially the Christian walk, isn't it? We, we, we don't really find God as much as he finds us. Yeah. And sure, we can have, like this little she must have been praying for me. She must have been a really... A very godly woman because God answered her prayers in a big way. I can remember that was when I was 14 when I met her. I kept on bumping into Christians. Yeah. And Christians kept on telling me about God. And so God was revealing himself bit by bit and chipping away at that rough exterior of mine until he found the real me inside. So, yeah, certainly we can, we can get close to God, but it's as a result of God first finding us. Now let's talk about a little bit about your life from you know further on. You've got a PhD and a prestigious medicine scholarship later on in, in your studies. Uh, tell us what that launched you into. Well, look, what happened to me after I became a Christian, God went on this process or engaged in this process of healing me and restoring me. Now when you've been through abuse as a child, and it's significant abuse, like my, my schizophrenic mother, I had a terrible fear when I was at home with her that one night she'd come into my bedroom when I was asleep and stabbed me with a knife. And that's because she was just so violent. Her, she'd punch me in the face with her fist and she would uh, hit me on the head with a frying pan or a saucepan and she had a, sh- a shortened broom handle she called a, a pot stick and she'd thrash me with that thing. Mm. And so growing up, I developed this fear of failure. I developed this completely sense of worthlessness and I, and I felt unlovable. And so when I went to go to, to get my HSC, it took me six years to work through just getting a HSC because I felt like a complete failure and, and I, I honestly felt I'd never succeed. And then I finally got into university and after two weeks I ran away terribly afraid. And that's, that's the fear of failure. And then I, that precipitated a 12-year depressive episode and three years into that I almost committed suicide. But then God said to me, Michael, you've got to go back to university and face your fear of failure. And so I went back to uni, faced my fear of failure, and discovered I had a flair for academic studies. And I, I was topping subjects and getting high distinctions in maths and physics. And, 
and uh, in chemistry, and, and that's stuff I never understood as a kid. But that's what God can do. And then I was encouraged to do a PhD in chemistry, and it was a sixty grand scholarship. And then later on, I was fortunate enough to be offered a one hundred thousand dollars scholarship to study medicine. And so from those bleak, humble, and I would guess you'd call it abusive beginnings, God was able to work a real miracle. And tell me about your career now. So you're obviously a published author. Um, your book, Journey of Hope, has got rave reviews from, you know, I'm just even reading here on the website, uh, Beyond Blue, the, the director, uh, Jeff Kennett, has said, I commend Journey of Hope to you for all its rawness, emotion, and importantly, awakening. Uh, the Anglican Bishop of uh, Wollongong, has said resilience and optimism are the gems that shine uh, from this confronting story. You know, you've obviously got uh, a lot of big guns there that have uh, endorsed your book. Um, how did you uh, come uh, to, you know, to write your story? Well, what was the journey to writing The Journey of Hope? <laughs> well, God put it on my heart and he clearly indicated that it's, it's a story that's meant to provide hope and encouragement. Yeah. And I never expected it to be inspiring, but I'm, I'm very fortunate and blessed that that's what's happening with the book. Um, but yeah, three years ago, I felt compelled to, to tell a story, and for three main reasons. One, I wanted to celebrate those wonderful things in childhood that we all appreciate, and that's family and friendship. And my childhood was largely lost, but I, but I still discovered those wonderful things. I, I never knew I had a brother and three sisters until my father kidnapped me from foster care, and he told me about it. And I We'd be stunned by that. It's like, wow, that's amazing. Okay, so hang on, hang on. Your father kidnapped you from foster care. What happened? How did that happen? Um, my dad came and saw me when I was a, I was a ward of the state up until I was almost 10 years of age, and my father saw me every 12, 18 months. And then the third time he saw me, he, he was asking me a bit about what was going on, and I sort of told him about what my foster uncle well, I didn't actually tell him entirely what my foster uncle was doing, but I, but I think he gauged that I was uncomfortable with my foster uncle. And of course, my foster uncle was doing things to me that a man should never do to a boy, and my foster father was doing things to my best friend who lived next door that a man should never do to a girl. And I think my dad got a little bit of a wind of that, and he, and he kidnapped me from foster care. Yeah, and so the, the aspect of then, you know, having all of these things happen and then trying to write a story about it has been a, a journey in itself. And I had a, um, a Department of Community Services file kept on me. I had no idea it existed. And I got it only a few years ago and read it for the first time. It was 160 pages in length, A4 pages, and it was a complete dossier of everything that happened to me when I was a ward of the state. Like in, in foster homes, we were tested for sexually transmitted diseases. So I beg your pardon, when we're in the institutions. And when I read that, my, my eyes watered. And that, that children, young children should be exposed to these things is is just horrible. And so it leads me into my second point for writing Journey of Hope, and that is that I wanted to highlight the plight of children in foster care. Yeah. And uh, Kevin Rudd, I met Kevin Rudd a few years ago when, when he made the apology to all forgotten Australians. And forgotten Australians are people who grew up in church or state care, and I was one of those. Mm. Mm. And so I wanted to highlight the plight that these people had and that they still do have sometimes because they're kids, but they're still foster kids. And one of the difficult things for foster people is when they finish as a Department of Community Services state ward, they're then just left to go out on the street as an 18-year-old with no, with no security, with no support and no family. And that's a very difficult thing for those people to have to endure. The third reason for writing my book was because I wanted to debunk or, if you like, destigmatize depression. Now, females, they have no problem talking about the fact that they might be depressed, but we blokes, we, we don't do that. And we're, we're meant to be tough and strong and not suffer from depression, but the book is just a... a an account encouraging people, especially men, to talk about 
depression, to talk about their fears, their anxieties, to get professional help if they feel that they need professional help with relation to depression because depression is for all intents and purposes, no different to having diabetes or, for that matter, a broken leg. Well, you know, I, I've come across, you know, I'm a pastor of a church and I've come across a lot of people suffering depression, ups and downs, and there is no quick fix, you know. Um, we can pray, we can give biblical counsel, we can um, we, we can journey with people along the path. There's no quick fix to depression. And I think it's important that we do talk about it in our churches. We talk about it on in Christian media. What would be your advice to those listening now that are suffering from depression? How, how did you climb out of it? Well, it was a matter of, for me, I, I was the lowest point and I almost committed suicide as a result of that. It was about three years into that depressive episode. But look, I got professional help. Yeah. And a lot of people that do suffer from depression have what's called an adaptive way of thinking and interacting with people. And that's because they may have been abused or neglected as a kid, as a child. Because how you relate to the world as an adult is direct, directly related to what's happened to you in your childhood years. And so one, get professional help. And it, it may mean just going and seeing a general practitioner, a GP, and getting a referral to a counsellor. It may be that you suffer from a, a disease called um, bipolar disorder, and that would obviously require medication. But what's interesting too is when we become a Christian, God teaches us to think in really positive ways. Yeah. And that is one very powerful way to counteract the effects of or the, 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 the depressive tendencies that, or should I say, the negative tendencies that some people have, which can lead to depression. Yeah. I think one of the best teachings I heard recently, I was down at Hillsong Conference and uh, Jensen Franklin was teaching there that uh, we need to avoid ants, automatic negative thinking syndrome. <laughs> That's right. And uh, unfortunately, we, we, you know, as humans, we do err to thinking the worst and uh, it is a downward spiral. But as we know, Philippians 4 verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, uh, you know, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, dwell on these things. And it's hard to do it when you've got the media and you've got negativity in the education system, you've got negativity, uh, all, you know, in your family everywhere. Um, but if you do have, uh, you know, God's Holy Spirit in your heart, um, He can lead you into greener pastures. And so I guess that's your testimony through obviously professional counseling, through uh, a lot of different things, but you climbed out of depression. Now, we have to wrap it up in a moment, but I'm just thinking, you know, there are, there are people listening to this that aren't Christians that have never made a decision to come to Christ. Uh, they've felt God pursuing them, but they haven't put their hand up and said, all right, God, pick me up. Um, I'm, I'm ready to become a Christian. Would you speak to those listeners about how they would become a Christian in this moment? Look, for me, the time when I first read John 3.16 and understood it completely was in a naval hospital when I was working as an aircraft engineer in 1980 as a 22-year-old. But I recognized that I needed to be able to say to God, Hey God, look, I'm really sorry for what I've done, and, I, and I've done a lot of a lot of bad stuff. You know, when you when you're growing up as a juvenile delinquent, you do some some pretty horrible things, and so I had to confess my sins to God, or all my wrongdoing to God, and I recognised too that Jesus Christ was God Almighty, and that that's a remarkable thing that that God Almighty came and died on the cross for every human being who's ever lived, who's ever living now, and who will ever live so that God, the Father, could have a relationship with anybody at any time if they so choose. And so what I did was recognize who God was, understand that I was a sinner and confess my sins to God, and then ask Jesus Christ to come into my heart. And so it was a, it was a really simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for what I've done. I recognize you, that, that you are God Almighty. Please be my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart and live my life with me. And what's amazing too is Jeremiah 30 verse 17 says that I will restore you to health and heal your wounds. 
And so from when I became a Christian, there was that long process of God healing me and restoring me and showing me a right way to think, not a negative way of thinking, but a right way of thinking. And so God says to us, look, I know the plans I have for you, plans for good, not for evil, plans to give you hope in the future. And there's a God that actively wants to be involved in people's lives. Mate, I reckon that is the best news. And, you know, from out of the ashes, uh, the beauty has risen out of your life. You know, God's used your mess to become your message. He's used your tests to become your testimony. And uh, it's just amazing what uh, the Lord has done with your life. And I reckon you're a history maker. And uh, if people want to find out more, what's the best uh, email address that they can contact you on? Mate, if anybody wants to, e- to email me, I'll be happy to chat to you. Journey of Hope at live.com. All right, mate. I reckon you're a history maker. God bless. Thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot, Matt. See you, mate. Thanks, mate. See ya. If you'd like to download this interview, just go to www.historymakersradio.com. And also, you can make a donation if you'd like. I'm Matt Prater. Have a great week. History Makers.